morning, everybody. So good to see you. You look marvelous. I'm Greg Boyd, the senior pastor, the one who is going to be bringing forth a rather weak message uh, this morning. But it can't all be good, so, you know, you got to... Some of the younger kids said it's weak sauce, but we'll see. Um, we're, in a, we're, we're, we're wrapping up this Animate series that we've been a part of. Oh, by the way, I was gone last week. We were supposed to wrap this up last week. Uh, I really appreciate Dwayne uh, pitching in the last minute and delivering that outstanding message. Isn't he a gift? Uh, he's a gift. And so thank you, Dwayne, uh, for, for doing that. I, I, I had a real crusty week, uh, just the gunk in the lungs and all that stuff. It just bites because you go all winter and you're completely healthy. And then as soon as the weather gets better, uh, you get all this junk in your lungs and, and you feel miserable. But I'm back and feeling pretty good. So here we go. So we're going to wrap up this animate series. We've been looking at the role of imagination and, and spirituality and prayer in our Bible reading and worship. And I've really been stressing how important that is. It's been an incredible series. A lot of great stuff has been happening. Uh, some of that we'll be celebrating tonight. But I want to wrap this up this morning, and uh, I want to do it by looking at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, where Paul says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to dem demolish strongholds, I'm talking about mental strongholds here. We demolish arguments, and the word there that's translated arguments could be translated all reasoning processes. We demolish all sorts of reasoning and every pretentious thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. If it doesn't agree with what we know to be true about God and the person of Jesus Christ, we demolish it. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That, in a nutshell, folks, is the bullseye of discipleship. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, I pray for every person in this auditorium and every person who's listening through podcasts or television or any other means that you'll be opening up our hearts and minds to receive your word deeply. Uh, creating us, Lord God, uh, the ability to be aware of how we think, what we think, why we think, what we think, and to take every thought captive to Christ. Help us to be a people who get in touch with the inner sanctum this precious gift that you've given us to experience truths, not just intellectually, but deeply, profoundly, in a transforming way, to be revolutionized, to be the countercultural people who manifest your beauty that you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, this is your job. We surrender it to you because human words can never do that. Take over. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Here's what's something that's rather odd. The imagination is the central driving force in our life. Most people don't know that, but the direction of your life and the quality of your life will be determined more by what goes on in your imagination than any other single fact in your existence. 24-7, we've got stuff going on in our brains, uh, images, words, songs, uh, voices, impressions, sensations, feelings, and all of those creates Feelings inside of us that motivate us towards a certain course of action. Just this morning, uh, I'm sure this has happened to you before, but all of a sudden I found myself, I was driving to church, my mind drifted uh, towards uh, in a certain direction where I found myself getting angry. 
Uh, and it was because I happened to start reviewing and re-experiencing a rather aggravating situation. None of your business, by the way. But it was uh, <laughs> kind of a, a situation. I didn't even know I was doing that until all of a sudden I felt this sort of oh kind of a thing. And I don't need the oh kind of thing going to church. So I had to like, you know, set that, that thought process aside. But we always feel the stuff before we're even aware of why we feel the stuff. The mind is just constantly percolating uh, this, this the reviewing experiences in our mind and, and, and imagination that causes these feelings. It's the main direction of our life. It's the narrative we live in. It's the way we understand ourselves. It's the story we tell ourselves. It's the way we interpret God and, and, and the, the world around us. It's about our imagination, this private world that we have going on 24-7. Always daydreaming. You're the rock star one moment. You're the dancer the next moment. You win the Olympic gold the next moment. You're remembering the past. You're all the time. And it can be in response to a song you hear or smell that you smell or something that you see. But it's always doing this. Vivid, concrete images that we experience that create emotions. And it sets the direction of our life. There isn't anything that human beings have ever accomplished that wasn't first accomplished in someone's imagination. Our outside world, the public world, is a reflection of our private world. It goes on between the ears before it ever goes on out in the uh, physical world. It's so important, it's so crucial, it's so vital, it's all determinative. And what's weird, however, is this. We never talk about this, or hardly ever talk about this. We don't talk about the way we do life on the inside. In fact, most people aren't even aware that they do life on the inside. They're not aware of all the things that they're experiencing on the inside. So we, we never talk about it. We, we, we never you know, introspect on that, which is why, as some people have noted on the uh, Woodland Hills Bridge, this animate site that we set up on the internet for, to have this kind of virtual community around this, uh, they've commented how when they go to share this series with somebody and try to talk to people about it, uh, you get one of two responses. You start talking about imagination and how powerful it is in prayer and Bible reading and worship. And you'll get one of two responses. Usually if they're Christian, uh, they might look at you as, with this kind of suspicious look, like you just joined some new age cult. Imagination? What's that about? <laughs> Never heard that in my church. Or you'll get a response, uh, you know, kind of a glazed over response. Like, just, are you from a different planet? This isn't part of our public discourse. It's so odd that it influences so much of our life Sets the direction and the quality of our life, but we don't talk about it. It's sort of a foreign thing. One of the problems is that we tend to be, in the modern West, a very externally focused people. We're so busy chasing external stuff that we really don't know ourselves very well. We don't, we don't take time to think about what we think about, about how we think about things. We don't know ourselves very well at all. When we think, it's usually about external things, about accomplishing external things. It's very rare to find a person who in a systematic, disciplined way sets aside 15 minutes to a half hour a day just to think. What are you doing today? I'm just thinking. About what? About my thinking. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. In the ancient world, they did. It was considered, I mean, that's a very important activity to think about your thought, to, to look inside yourself, to examine yourself, to get to know yourself. Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. By that criteria, a lot of modern people are living worthless lives. I mean, we just don't do much introspection. We're too externally focused. If we're going to fulfill 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 and take every thought captive, 
we are going to have to be a people who recover the art of thinking about thinking. Brain discipleship. Discipleship of the brain. Brain discipleship is the main discipleship. To become aware of the thought processes that are going on, the images that we have, the sounds, the songs, and to ask the question, are these consistent with the kingdom of God? To take every thought captive to Christ means we begin to be aware of our every thought. And we think with images and impressions and sensations and voices and feelings. We need to become aware of that. We need to be a people who take time, it's very odd in this culture, but to examine our thoughts, to examine this imaginative world that all of us live in. When we do that, we may find sometimes that even things that seemed very insignificant end up telling you a lot about yourself. And it may even result in healing if you trace it back far enough. Just to become curious about your brain. Don't judge it. It's always trying to do you a favor. Uh, but just examine it and, and, and follow it back and explore it. And sometimes things that seem insignificant become very significant. For example, all of my life I have had in my head a song. I've had a lot of songs in my head, actually. But does anyone else here live life kind of like a musical? that when, you know, You're always playing a song in the background, and I, I'm always doing that. But there's one particular song that has reoccurred all my life, as, as long as I can remember. It's a haunting song, kind of an eerie song. It creates a sense of melancholy and loneliness in me. But there's also a sort of real sense of familiarity with this song. And all my life, I have on occasion asked people if they had heard this song, if they knew what it was about, because I, 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 I know it had something to do with a television show uh, that I saw as a little kid, a black and white television show. I have one image that goes along with this song. It's a, it's a dog walking along the side of a highway. But I've never met anybody who can relate to that movie or that television series or that knew this song. The song goes, maybe some of you can help me out here. Uh, it, it goes, uh, traveling around from town to town. Sometimes I think I'll settle down, but I know I'd hunger to be free. Roving's the only life for me. Oh, drifting, the world is my friend. I'm traveling around the along the road without end. Does anyone recognize that song? Don't clap. <laughs> no, it was terrible. Does anyone recognize that song? Does it, okay, see, this is my problem. I've never been anybody who recognizes it. Or do you, do you remember a show, a black and white television show, uh, about a, a dog that would roll from town to town? And, and it, 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 I always get blank stares with that. Well, this last, this last um, Memorial Day, sitting with some friends and having a barbecue, and somehow we got on the topic of uh, old television shows and theme songs. And so I once again sang my little piece and, and, and said, you know, did anyone here know a, a, a show about a dog that rode from town to town? And no one did, of course. But Julie Ross, who was at this uh, get-together, who's an internet junkie, uh, she introduced me to something called the Google. <laughs> and it never, okay, it, it, really, modern technology, it never occurred to me that on the basis of a couple of lyrics... You can, you can you know, find an old TV show. So she types in some lyrics, and within a couple of minutes, she discovers that the song I was singing was the theme song to a 1963 television show called The Littlest Hobo. 
The Little Snowboat. Does anyone remember that show? Traveling around from town to town, sometimes I think I'll settle down. The Littlest Hobo. And as soon as I saw that advertisement, and as soon as I heard the song on the internet, there was a, it was like finding a long-lost friend. For 45 years, that song's been stuck in my head. That's what it's about. Now, nothing could be more insignificant than that, right? Au contraire. As I thought about this this week, and I listened, went on the internet and listened to this song over and over again. By the way, you can, get, you can download that song and that image on my website, gregboy.org. I, I, I did a blog on this. I was in love with this show and this song. And uh, I listened to it over and over again. And I want to be a detective of my own brain, brain discipleship. And so I asked the question, why was that song uh, so important to me? Uh, why... I mean, after 45 years, never having seen the television show again. In fact, I don't remember watching an episode. I remember fighting with my siblings about wanting to watch an episode because it competed with some other show that they wanted to watch. And so I don't think I ever watched it that much. But why was that song and that, and, and that image so important to me that 45 years later, not having seen the show since then or ever heard the song since then, I remember the tune perfectly, I remember all the lyrics, and I got this image in my, my mind. My brain and heart clearly thought this was important. Why? And you bring a little prayer around that, a little imaginative spirituality around that, and I quickly discovered the reason. And it taught me something about myself and actually brought a little more dimension of healing in my life. 1963, I was five years old. My life was in chaos. My family was in chaos. I had a stepmother that I didn't bond with at all, and uh, she was somewhat abusive. I lived in a hostile environment. I've talked about that before. I felt things deeply. I thought about death all the time. Uh, but I couldn't communicate any of my feelings or my, my obsession with death because I stuttered so bad, and I'm not sure I would have had much of an audience even if I didn't stutter. I felt like a complete alien. I, I came to the conclusion at a very young age that I'm all alone in the world. And I, the reason I'm sure that I so latched onto that song, that image, and those lyrics is because I identified with them so strongly. This dog was all alone in the world, and this dog became sort of a lonely companion, a comrade on life's very alone journey. But this dog was also something of a hero to me, because this dog chose that. And the dog would go from town to town, and as I began to think about it, I began to remember some things about the show. People sometimes wanted to own that dog, but the dog wouldn't be owned. It would have to travel on to the next town, and it always would stumble on an adventure. It would ride on trains from town to town and things like that. And I just identified with this littlest hobo and looked up to this littlest hobo. And see, as I did some work around that this week, uh, it brought about a sense of completeness with me. On the one hand, that little five-year-old boy had, I think, a very important truth. He wasn't altogether wrong. Because the truth is, we are largely alone in the world. We come into this world completely alone and we leave completely alone. And even while we're going through life, no one can get on the inside of your experience. Does anyone else ever feel like this? It's like the way, what you feel, what you sense, you can't fully communicate it to anybody. No one can experience exactly what you experience. To some degree, you're locked in your skull. It feels kind of alienating and isolating. So the little boy was hitting on, a, I think, a, a profound truth, but it wasn't the whole truth. In the 45 years since then, I've learned a few things. Uh, one of the things I've learned is that 
that uh, love can, with effort, bridge the alienating gap between us, and we can touch one another. In fact, it can happen that you begin to enter into a little bit of each other's experience. You're not totally alone. We can share each other's experience. But most importantly, what I've learned in the 45 years since then that the little boy didn't know is that God is on the inside of all the experiences. You're never totally alone. He knows exactly what you're experiencing. And so what happens is by going back and now kind of reowning that little boy and that little dog and that little show and that little tune, I, I still treasure the, the, the role that that dog played and that movie played in that moment, but now I can integrate it with a fuller adult, more Christian perspective. That that wasn't the full truth, that was the partial truth. And see, that song, I think, whenever it played, it had a subtle message that you are all alone in this world. And now I can hold on to the element of truth that is there, but it no longer tells the whole story. Rather, now it's part of a bigger story where I know that I am under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and he is on the inside of all my experiences. And so there's a sense of integration and wholeness and completeness. My, my, my point here is this. We need to be detectives of our own mind. We need to be, uh, you know, engage in brain discipleship. And sometimes even the littlest things, a little song that you, that's a pattern in your life or a memory or an image, if we spend time to think about our think, engage in brain discipleship, you may learn something about yourself. In fact, it may bring about a fuller healing process. Now the little hobo is brought captive to Jesus Christ. It's part of what it is to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Be a disciple of your own brain. That's part of what imaginative spirituality is all about. Now as we've gone through this series... This animate series, bringing life into our spirituality through the use of the imagination. There's been a lot of good questions raised on the uh, Woodland Hills Bridge and through email and personal contact. A lot of great questions. And I want to spend the rest of this message and next week addressing some of these questions. Can't address most of them, but I want to address a few of them. And I want to wrap up the animate series this morning by talking about one question. It is it is, I believe, the most fundamental of all the questions that were asked. It's a kind of common denominator of, of a lot of different questions. And the question is simply this. Is it just me? When I engage in imaginative spirituality, is it just my imagination that is working? In fact, that's well, what I want to be the subtitle of this message. Just wrapping it up. Is it just me? And the questions came in a lot of different ways. For example, some people said, when I, when I find the place that we've talked about and I envision Jesus or, or hear Jesus or sense Jesus and, and I hear him say the words to me that he said in Scripture, but it's personal, it, it, it's nice, but it feels like it's just me. Am I encountering the real Jesus when I engage in imaginative spirituality and he talks to me? Is that the real Jesus talking or is this just my mind doing it? One person said, I, I, I feel kind of disappointed because what I want to know is the real Jesus, but I'm just very aware that, that the Jesus in my imagination is just my imagination and sense, has a sense of disappointment. One person asked, yeah, asked is it wrong if I just enjoy uh, you know, seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus and, and, and seeing myself as I truly am in Christ, even though I'm very aware that I'm the one doing it, is that wrong? And I want to address that issue. I think it's a very, very important issue. To address it, I want us to think about imaginative spirituality as a continuum. Here's a continuum, a framework to make sense out of this. On one extreme, we could call this self-directed imaginative spirituality. On the other extreme, we could call it spirit-directed uh, uh, imaginative spirituality. 
When it's self-directed imaginative spirituality, what I mean by that is this. We are just very intentional about what we think and how we think. This is just thinking accurately. Knowing who the true Jesus is, you choose to think about him that way. Knowing, knowing who the true you are, is, are, whatever, uh, you think about yourself that way. And since we think in images and sensations and feelings and words, we intentionally think about ourselves and think about God with images and words and sensations. And that is a good and valuable and very important biblical principle. This is a sort of imaginative spirituality that was practiced by St. Ignatius of Loyola in the 16th century and St. Francis de Sales. They were spiritual directors who were very intentional with people, telling them how to use their imagination uh, to get closer to God and experience the things of God uh, concretely. On the other extreme, now this is a continuum, and most of the time we engage in imaginative spirituality, it's, it's somewhere in between these two things. But on the other extreme is something that is completely spirit-directed. And this is more like having a, a, a supernatural vision, the kind of thing the Bible talks about where, where the Lord just kind of comes to you and takes over, and your will and volition aren't directing anything. It's, it's, it's simply a God thing. And this is the sort of imaginative spirituality that St. Teresa of Avila and St. Catherine of Siena, both from the Middle Ages, the sort of uh, imaginative spirituality that they practice. And what I want us to see is that both, both extremes and everything in between are biblical and are of God, which is why we don't need to worry about how much is us and how much is God. They're both within the parameters of biblical truth, and they're both of God. I want to talk about both of these. First of all, self-directed imaginative spirituality. The Bible tells us what to think, which tells us that we're responsible for what we think, which tells us we can control what we think. We saw the verse earlier, 2 Corinthians 10. That we're, to, we're to come against strongholds, anything in our brain, which any pattern of thought which disagrees with the knowledge of God. We're to tear that down, and we're to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. That's something we're supposed to do. That's about our intentionality. Philippians 4 says that whatever is, or that we're to guard our hearts and minds in Christ, that's our job. And the way we do it is by choosing intentionally to think on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and whatever is praiseworthy. We're to think on those things. That's our job. This is our organic computer. It's our job to program it. So there's stuff going on in your mind, whether it's something you see or something you hear or something you sense, and it's not true, get rid of it. If it's not noble, get rid of it. If it's not right, lovely, admirable, or praiseworthy, you delete it and install something that is. True and noble and right and lovely, admirable and praiseworthy. That's our responsibility. The Bible says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to make new over and over again. That's something that is our responsibility. And since we think with images and senses and, and, and words and, and, and sensations, then we need to intentionally bring images and words and sensations and feelings to our thought about true, about, about what is true, what is noble. And that's how we, we renew our mind, and that's how we're transformed by our mind. But I want us to see this. Even when we're the one directing the process, it's never just about us. In fact, on both extremes, it's never just all God and none of us or all us and none of God. It's always a both and sort of a thing. Even here where we're very intentional about what we experience in our imagination, that is a result of the spirit at work in our life. In fact, uh, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, no one can even confess Jesus Christ as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
You can't even believe in Jesus as Lord without the Holy Spirit. You can't surrender your life to Jesus as Lord without the Holy Spirit. And you can't accurately represent Jesus as Lord in your mind except for the Holy Spirit. Paul says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, that's the Spirit that opens up our eyes, frees us from the one who blinds us to experience the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a Spirit work. In Philippians, 4, in Philippians 2, Paul says, continue to work out, not work at, but work out your salvation, for it is God who is in you both to will and to act. You do it. You, you be intentional. But it's God who's empowering you to do that. So it's not just you. Whenever we get our minds to line up with truth and experience truth in concrete, transforming ways, that is itself the result of the Spirit at work in our life. Yes, it involves our volition and our discipleship, our discipline, but God is at work in doing that. And that is imaginative spirituality. And if that's all imaginative spirituality was in your experience, that'd be fine because that's biblical and it's true and that's transforming. The reason this is so important is because this, is, this sets the direction of our life. In fact, though most people aren't aware of it, we are always being transformed by the renewing of our mind. The imagination is always going, as I said earlier, and is always setting a direction for our life and determining the quality of our life. The only question is, will we be controlling that or will it be controlling us? We are always transformed by the renewing of our mind. Here's why this is so important. That word renew, it means to make new over and over again. It got old, now you made it new. It got old, now you made it new. And the way you make old things new will determine the future that you're moving into. You could describe the whole work of the imagination this way. We review the past and make it new in order to make it a preview of the future. Okay, that we, we, we review to renew to preview. <laughs> we review to renew to preview. And that's just the direction of our life. And we're doing it all the time, whether we know it or not. It's just that God wants us to be intentional about that, working in conjunction with the Spirit of God who's within us. So it looks something like this. Uh, consider if you can. I know most of us will have a hard time with this, but pretend like you were in a bad marriage. Here's what goes on in a bad marriage. Among other things, you'll find that the people who are involved in a difficult marriage where there's a lot of fighting and struggling going on is that when they're away from each other, they have a certain way of thinking about each other, and it ain't pretty. They ruminate about the bad stuff and how negative their spouse is and how mean their spouse is and how, you know, they could have got that nice gal as a senior in high school who was really cute and instead they chose this person and now she's turned out to be such a blah, blah, blah and they grumble to themselves and they have a negative way of representing their spouse. And it's not with information, folks. No, it's they re-experience the negativity of their spouse when they're at work and away and other things. Uh, they're, they're, they're seeing and hearing and sensing the negativity of their marriage. All of that creates a certain emotion which moves them in a certain direction and that becomes a preview of the future. The imaginative the world, the world they live in is negative and so that leads them to expect that the same sort of thing in the future. So they come home from work and they've been thinking about the negativity of their spouse all day long and what's likely to happen when they walk in the door? Yeah, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. We, it, it tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, which the next negative experience just becomes something that they next time review, which becomes a preview, and you get in the spiral, this rut of negativity. That's, it's all about the imaginative world. It sets the agenda and the course of life. On the other hand, in good marriages, the same thing happens, but in a positive way. People who are deeply in love, they have a way of representing their spouse 
uh, when they're not around and they think about the positive, they highlight the positive, they minimize the negative, uh, they, they see and they hear and they sense uh, memories and uh, recollections of, of the positive stuff that was in the marriage and that creates positive emotions and that becomes the preview of the future. And when they come and walk in the door after they've been thinking positively about their wife all day long, well, what are they likely to experience? All other things being equal, it's going to create a more positive environment, which then reconfirms the, the material they've been, they've been reviewing. And now they're in a, in, a, in a positive zone. As you think, so you are. That's not pop psychology. This is biblical principles. It's all about what goes on between our ears. In fact, that whole process of reviewing and previewing is one way, one aspect of the biblical understanding of faith. Faith. And the Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you. Passage I've quoted many times around here because I think it's so important. Hebrews chapter 11 defines faith as this. Faith is the substance, hypostasis, of things hoped for and the evidence, elegkos, of things not seen. Hypostasis is the Greek word that means substantial reality. Elegkos is a word that means conviction or even assurance. It's an emotion. That's what faith is. Now, we could, in the light of imaginative spirituality, uh, translate it this way. This is the, this is the uh, uh, IPV version, the imaginative prayer version. Uh, translate it this way. Faith is the substantial image, hypostasis, of things you expect and the conviction, elegkos, about what you do not yet see. We entertain things as substantial realities, not information, but substantial realities, hypostasis. What we see, what we hear, what we sense, that's the imagination at work, and all thought is about imagination. And it creates in us an emotion that moves us in a certain direction, and a leg cost. So what's happening in a bad marriage is these people are having faith for a bad marriage. It looks like this. The person is uh, entertaining a hypostasis of his negative wife that's creating a negative leg cost towards his, his, his uh, uh, negative wife which then is going to reinforce their bad marriage. He thinks about, ruminates about all the negativity that is there. He re-experiences it uh, when he's away from her. He drives home with that on his mind. He has this leg cost that's negative. He anticipates. He's confident that this marriage is going to stink. And guess what? According to your faith, be it unto you. Now, these folks are probably in counseling. And undoubtedly, this guy is telling the counselor, oh, I want my marriage to work. I'm waiting on God to change our hearts and, 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 and rescue our marriage. Wonderful, fine. But as long as that garbage is going on in his brain, you're going to have a garbage marriage. Garbage in, garbage out. What has to happen is the way that you do thought, the way you live in an imaginative world has got to change because that creates the different emotions and different motivations that creates a different reality. It happens the same thing uh, in a good marriage. This person was having faith that their marriage would be bad. This person has faith that their marriage will be good. They review as a concrete, substantial reality, a hypostasis, the positive aspects of their spouse. And, and that creates a positive leg cost, which previews the future. And they drive home having, uh, having faith that the marriage will be well. And according to your faith, be it unto you, it ends up being a positive thing. The question we've got to ask ourselves is this. And this is all about imagination. It's all about imaginative spirituality. What faith do you have? What is your faith? Which is to say, what are the, what's the hypostasis in your head? What's the elegkos in your heart? What's your faith about your marriage? I don't care what you tell a counselor. What's your faith? Are you being disciplined about the way you think about your spouse when they're not around? See? That is the driver of this thing. We don't really talk about that much. We don't, aren't even aware of it, but it is. What's your faith about your life, about your purpose? 
What's your faith about God and your faith about yourself? To take every thought captive to Jesus Christ is simply to take all the things that we have faith about and take it captive to our faith in Christ. It's to become aware of all of the substantial images in our mind, what we see, what we hear, what we sense, all of that stuff, and to ask the question, is this consistent with the lordship of Jesus Christ? Is this consistent with the character of God revealed in Jesus Christ? Is this consistent with biblical truth about who God is and about who we are and about who others are? To take every thought captive to Jesus Christ means we take thoughts about God captive to Jesus Christ. We find out, if you find that you have any leg costs, a conviction, a feeling that is not consistent with the fruit of the Spirit, for example, if you look behind that, you'll find some sort of representation of God that is not consistent with the God revealed on Calvary. And our job is to be aware of that and then take a captive to Jesus Christ. All those false images that came from mom or dad or whatever other source, and to delete them because they're not true, they're not lovely, they're not noble, and now install in our mind concretely, visually, auditorially, kinesthetically, with feelings and all the rest, images that are true, that are noble, that are lovely, that are consistent with Jesus saying, if you see me, you see the Father. And to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ means we take every thought about ourselves captive to Jesus. The faith we have about ourselves, we take it captive to our faith in Christ. The Bible says, for example, that you, you are, regardless of how you experience yourself, you are created in God's image and you're a child of God and you've been bought and paid for with a price and you have unsurpassable worth. The Bible says you're filled with his spirit and, and that you're, you're the bride who ravishes his heart and you're a walking, talking temple of God and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power, love, and sound mind and you are seated with Christ in heavenly places and you're holy and blameless in Christ Jesus and all the rest. That's what the Bible says about you. Now, here's the thing. That's wonderful and you go, Yes. But the question is, is, do you have faith for that? Which is to say, is that your imaginative world? When you review yourself, is that what you review? And when you preview yourself, is that what you preview? Because it will be altogether worthless unless it gets into our imaginative world and begins to create true hypostasis and therefore true elegkos, which motivates our life to move in a certain direction. And so it is for every other person and so it is for every other matter in our life. Take thoughts captive to Christ means we, we have to attend, wake up to the imaginative world we live in and realize that God empowers us to take charge of that empower, as we're empowered by the Spirit. That is imaginative spirituality. And if that's all your imaginative spirituality ever amounted to, you doing it, it'd be wonderful. You're still being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's not just you doing it. The Spirit of God is at work in you, empowering you to do it. So yes, in a sense, you direct it, but it's not just you, and be happy with that. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's something right about that. In fact, there's something profoundly important with that. That's the first form of imaginative spirituality, the one that we direct. On the other extreme, now I want to talk about this, is the spirit-directed spirituality. Uh, on this extreme, this is more along the lines of a biblical vision, where the people don't intend things, they don't choose things, rather it comes to them. God just sort of downloads a vision, a picture, a word, or whatever in their imagination. It happens in their imagination. The word that's used for vision in the Old Testament, the main word, is the same word that's used for dream. Same word. The only difference between a dream and a vision in the Bible is that one happens when you're awake and the other one happens when you're asleep. But notice, they both happen 
in the imagination. You're still involved in this. It's not an all God thing. You can shut it off if you want to, but it is God directed. We find throughout the Bible and throughout church history, God comes to people and he just creates in their imagination what he wants to communicate to them. He comes to them in that way. That's the inner sanctum. And it can happen in imaginative spirituality, whether it's in prayer or worship or Bible reading, that what starts as you simply thinking accurately, using all five senses, becomes something more like a supernatural vision or dream or word that God gives us. The Holy Spirit just sort of takes over and he starts directing it. And now things happen in your imagination that are real and that you're not choosing. But God now is, is bringing it to you. The way it happens with me sometimes is like this. Almost always, not always, but almost always, when I enter into uh, the practice of imaginative spirituality, uh, I start with me choosing it. Once in a while, out of the blue, I'll get hit with something. But usually, I choose to see the place I choose to experience Jesus coming to me. I, I hear the words that, that he said to me already in Scripture with my name attached to it. I spend time with him by the lakeside or on a mountaintop or in the middle of the forest or whatever. And I'm aware that I'm the one doing that. And then I represent myself as I am in Christ and whatever. And that's good and that's biblical and that's true. That's wonderful. I start that way. But sometimes, not always, not even usually, but sometimes I become aware that something else is going on here. The Spirit of God starts taking over, and now the narrative that I'm living in becomes, I'm no longer directing it. The Holy Spirit's directing it. And that's when God starts to show off his creativity and his healing power. And uh, things happen that you know you couldn't on your own create. Uh, sometimes it's absolutely undeniable. For example, there's a lady that I, I knew a number of years ago who was engaging in, in cataphatic prayer, uh, imaginative spirituality. And she was sitting, by Jesus, uh, sitting with Jesus by the side of this lake and just enjoying the time together as he was loving her and saying what was true. And then all of a sudden, she says, Jesus turned to her with a smile on his face and said, you really ought to give Carol a call. Now, Carol is a friend of this woman who she hadn't had contact with for about a year. They sort of lost contact. So she got up and called Carol and she tells me the story. Carol had 15 minutes earlier just found out from her husband. Her husband had reported to her that he'd been involved in a two-year-long affair and now was going to leave her to move in with this lady that he was hopelessly in love with, yada, yada, yada. Carol was distraught to the point of having suicidal thoughts. And now a call from out of the blue comes from a friend she hasn't talked to for a year who says, you know, I don't know, but I just felt the Lord just tell me to give you a call. And man, did that open up doors for healing to happen. You see... Now, there's no way this woman could have thought of that on her own. I'm thinking, I'm just thinking that that was really a God thing. God shows up and boom, communicates uh, what is true, what is necessary in that moment. He's the one directing it. A lot of times when the Lord brings healing into our life, uh, it's, it's a spirit-directed thing. You're sitting there with Jesus and you're representing him according to truth and yourself according to truth, but all of a sudden, with, with, with me it happens kind of like this sometimes. The Lord just says, hey, let's go someplace. And boom, I'm in a memory, and now the Lord brings his healing love to, to a wounding memory. And I'm just very aware that that's a God thing. I mean, it's so creative, and it's so beautiful and ingenious. It's not something that I'm doing to myself. The Holy Spirit here, this is more like a, it started in just faith, accurate thinking, accurate believing, but now it's more along the lines of a biblical vision. And our job is just to yield to that. As long as it's staying within the parameters of biblical truth, you yield to that and see what God can do in your inner sanctum. Sometimes God brings particular messages that he wants us to hear personally, that we need. 
in a way that is not your own mind doing it. Rather, he is directing this process. One of the most beautiful that I've had in recent times was, it happened, I guess, 19 years ago or 18 years ago. It was right when Jacob Wetterling was kidnapped. Many of you can remember that. And whenever nightmare stuff happens to kids, it always uh, hits me in a very deep, sorrowful, profound way. And it used to completely screw me up. I mean, it taps into some of my own stuff. Uh, it used to send me on spirals that sometimes were just so negative and uh, I couldn't get images out of my head about what might be happening to this little boy. And I was in prayer at one moment with the Lord during this and I was so mad and angry and grieving. You know, I, I can theologize why we have to live in a world where evil is possible. I got that. But there's a part of me that says there ought to be a rule that no one under the age of 12 is allowed to get hurt. A moratorium on kids. It's, you know, and, and so do you ever just get mad at the way the world runs? It's like, like, like you do a better job if you were God. And so I'm mad at God and I'm kind of pounding on Jesus' chest like, why could this happen? Why, 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 did this, why was this allowed? And then I all of a sudden saw an image, very, very vivid image, full of life and full of joy. It was a scene of a, of, of a playground, a big playground with all these kids on it and they're having the time of their life. There's laughter and there's just this joy. And Jesus is in the middle of the playground. The kids are crawling all over him and he's laughing and they're laughing. And there's a, there's a, a merry-go-round to uh, the left of the scene, my right, and there's a, a, a swing set just in back of Jesus and there's kids on both and they're just having a, a lot of fun. I recognize that a lot of the kids are wearing concentration camp clothes with, with uh, concentration camp numbers on their arms which is important to me because the Holocaust in which over a million little children under the age of five were incinerated has always struck me as the most demonic, unthinkable thing imaginable. And this was the Lord's way of representing sort of the children who have had grotesque injustice done to them. And now these kids are with Jesus and there's nothing but joy and laughter and fun. And as the kids are climbing on Jesus, Jesus turns to me just for a moment and kind of just smiles as they're crawling on him. And then he turns back and he's playing with the kids, but now he's going to talk to me, though he's not looking at me. And he says, Greg, you're just going to have to trust me on this one. I plan on making it up to the kids. I plan on making it up to the kids. And see, that wasn't, that, that, that wasn't information, but that was a vivid, true image, noble, right, lovely, praiseworthy and that had an ability to impact me in such a profound way that while I still, of course, as we all do, grieve incredibly when, little, when terrible things happen to little children, I no longer go to a demonic place. I'm able to trust Jesus for this. You see, and, and that was a God thing. That was a spirit-directed thing. I know I didn't do that. In fact, just this week, and I'd like to ask the worship team to come up. If you would, we're going to go in another time of worship. In fact, you can start playing. Um, but this last week, it's just the, the ingenuity of God is so beautiful. I was, as I was going back to this little hobo song and kind of doing some prayer around this, this scene came to me again of these little children. Plus, I read a terrible, terrible, unthinkable story about what happened to a little kid last week, and that's been on my mind. And so I have this scene once again of all the children and the laughter, and they're crawling on Jesus, and he's just laughing. And I'm just watching this and kind of enjoying it. But now, and this has happened on Friday, I see there's a newcomer on the playground. And it's behind Jesus, right by the swing set, and this little boy walks on the playground. He's got a little dog. 
I look over and I immediately see that it's, it's me. He's got his little hero dog, little hobo. And see, that's just the Lord's way, of just tender touch of saying, Greg, I'm taking care of all the kids and I'm taking care of you. In some ways, this is sort of the confirmation. He makes it up to the little kids. Where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Where wounds abound, God's healing does much more abound. And, 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 and he's able to bring good out of any of it. And, and so it's just a tender way of personalizing it to me. It starts as in our intentionality. We choose it, and that's good, and we intend it, and that's good. We have to be disciples of the brain, engage in brain discipleship. But we also have to be open to the Lord, taking it and turning it into a vision that can bring healing and transformation into our life. Don't ever try to make that happen. Don't ever force any of this. It's not a contest. If you never got there, that's fine. You still have the truth about what you're doing. But be open to the Holy Spirit taking you and leading this in a way that is powerful and healing. We're going to go into another time of worship now. In fact, we're going to be taking communion here in a little bit. And I want to encourage you to attend to the thoughts and the representations in your mind and in an act of discipleship, focus them on the Lord. We'll be sharing the Lord's Supper. How interesting that when the Lord gives us the sign of the covenant, he doesn't give us some kind of abstract theological theorem. He gives us concrete bread and concrete wine, uh, images that, 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 that communicate vividly to us. And we're going to be sharing that. We'll start by taking up an offering. I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward here. I encourage you to have your mind and heart and focus on him as I lead us in this prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for speaking to us in the language that we can understand and that impacts us powerfully. I pray, Lord, right now that you'll take over, Holy Spirit, take over this time. Saturate us with your love and your presence. Focus our hearts on you as we renew our covenant with you by taking the sign of the covenant. And now, Lord, as we take up this offering, we do it as, uh, with the acknowledgement that all that we have is yours. And we just ask that you lead us and guide us in how to steward it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing. Uh, I'll say that later. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> The, uh, the reoccurring line in this song at the end of the, the chorus is, Be in me as I give myself to you, speaking to, to God. And so as the offering plate is passed around, envision yourselves uh, placing yourselves into the offering basket and as, a, as, as your gift to God. Bread and the 
mercy and grace in his tender embrace there's forgiveness in love divine there's forgiveness and love Praise God. Amen. Amen. God is so good. Amen. This is a seminar, and I want to give you an assignment. Learn one thing about your brain this week that you didn't know before, okay? Just be curious, investigate, and submit it all to Jesus Christ, and spend time representing truth, spending time with the Lord. Exercising faith in what is true about him, about you, about other folks. And then be open to the Spirit, bringing healing. God's doing some healing right here. We don't want to interfere with that at all. So if the musicians will continue to play, continue to worship the Lord, just go ahead and lead in the next song. Uh, if you want to come forward and be at the altar or pray with some folks who are up here where the prayer teams come forward, I encourage you to do that. If you want to just sit and soak for a little bit, I encourage you to do that. Uh, when you're dismissed, please do so quietly and take the conversations out in the gathering area to respect those who are staying in the service. Let us pray that God helps us to be a people inspired by His Spirit who really live in the reality of what we just sang about. My closest friend, lover of my soul. So Father, as we leave this place, would you, through the power of your Spirit, remind us to be involved in brain discipleship. Remind us to tend, guard our hearts so that all that happens between our ears is lovely and true and noble and praiseworthy. And then help us to be, Lord God, detectives of our mind that purge out everything that's false, installs everything that's true, that our minds and our hearts and our lives and our words and our attitudes and our actions would glorify you, putting your love on display. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Stop by at the hub. Take the conversations out in the gathering area. Sing together with me if you wish. And I'll stand in awe of you. Yes, I'll stand.